Psalm 24, a Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in its holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Lord, thank you for this day that we can come together and worship you. Thank you for the worship that is proclaimed in your word and the worship that we can sing to adore you. Father, as we focus on the word and the sermon this morning that Kevin is going to bring, I pray that you would make it dwell in our hearts, that you would make it alive within us. God, I pray that we would see your glory through this message, that we would see the glory of your righteousness. Amen. Good morning. How is everybody? Good, good. Well, thank you guys for being here. Uh, welcome to Aletheia Church. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. If you guys are new with us, thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Um, so I haven't, I've preached like one time in the last like seven weeks. So just get, you know, buckle your seatbelt, be ready. We're going to be here for about three hours today. Uh, never give uh, a preacher that much time off because uh, we will make up for it. So completely joking. Um, I'll do my best to keep it under an hour and a half. Um, so, uh, all right. So, uh, we've been doing this series, we started it a couple weeks ago, where we're, we're switching back and forth, and as we, we, we look one week at a psalm, and then the next week look, we look at a proverb, and we're, we're trying to kind of keep this pattern of uh, wisdom and worship. That's kind of like the, the, the heart posture, at least from uh, our time in God's Word on Sunday mornings that we want to have over the course of the summer, of this, this idea of one week we're going to the Lord, we're going to His Word for wisdom, and we're seeking out what He might have for us. And the next week, we want to be uh, have our hearts kind of encouraged and inclined to this idea of of worshiping Him for who He is and what He has done in our lives, and and consistently kind of fanning that that flame of worship within our hearts. Because as as Paul says, that we should be renewed in our minds daily uh, with the truths of the gospel. And the reason is, is we're quick to forget. You know, we're quick to uh, get involved in our jobs or our school or raising our children or our family drama or health issues or whatever it may be and forget kind of just these fundamental truths that maybe we all once believed at some point in time about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and fail to kind of recognize the realities of what the gospel does in our lives on a daily basis. And so... Uh, we've been speaking frequently, really back all the way in January, um, 
over the course of the last few months of, of what we at, at Aletheia Church kind of view as our, our mission and our vision and our values, uh, our strategy. And so here's the deal. If you feel like you haven't gotten that yet or you're new here or whatever else, um, and, 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 but you feel like, I have been here since January. I feel like I've heard this stuff before. J just get ready because gonna, you're going to hear it until you're sick of hearing it. Just simply because by repetition, I think we're going to be able to communicate kind of where we're going. Uh, but I want to share this with you, okay? And, and there's an intentionality to this, right? But we've become laser focused as a leadership team here at the church in the last like eight or nine months of why does God want our church to exist in this city and what are we supposed to be doing? And so our vision is, is that we want to be a church for the campus and the community. And we think that that's kind of distinct because we think God has uniquely called us to care about the transient nature of this city. That every year, somewhere between 30 to 60,000 young people move to this city to start going to school. And we want to be a church home for them. But we also know that in Gainesville, there's another 100,000 plus people that call this their home year-round that also need the gospel. And so we want to be a church that can reach into both of those huge spheres of influence in this city and be a church that's going to be faithful at presenting the gospel and making much of Jesus every day of our lives. Now, not only is that kind of our vision of what we think our church needs to be, we don't just want to be a church just for the campus. We don't want to be a church just for the community. We want to do both. But in that, our mission, and we stole this directly from Jesus himself, right, is to lead people to become growing followers of Jesus Christ. We want to make disciples. That's what we want to do, right? So if you're like, I don't really like your mission, you got a major problem with Jesus, right, and what he asked the church to do. Right, so this is, this is kind of who we've been like, zeroing in at from like you know, 30,000 feet. Why does Aletheia Church exist in the first place? This is why. And the way we're going to do that strategy-wise, and you've probably heard us saying this from the front. You know, you've probably heard these words now where you're like, I'm sick of Kevin and Daniel using these words. Right, but we, we want to we engage our community. We want to encourage one another and our community in the gospel. We want to equip people with scripture and biblical text, right, and, and God-centered, gospel-centered resources to do the work of the ministry. And then we want to empower you and me, right, as the church to go live that out in everyday spheres of our lives, right? We want to we engage, encourage, equip, and empower one another to be the church. That's, that's what we want to do, right? We're not into fog machines or flashy experiences or whatever else. I don't, have any, I don't have any problem with those things, but I just don't have the mental right, capacity to be able to do all that and try to do that really simple thing Jesus asked us to do under the mission. So here at this church, we're just going to keep it simple and do those things. And so if you haven't memorized all that yet or you feel like you've, you've, you've heard that 30,000 times and you're sick of hearing or whatever else, um, you're, you're likely to get tired of hearing me and Daniel and some of the other elders talk about this stuff because even in our gospel communities over the summer, we're going through this stuff, right? And just making sure we're all on the same page and encouraging one another to, to live this out because we're laser focused. But can I be honest with you guys for just a second? With this kind of like renewed sense of like who we are and what we're doing, I have a fear. As a pastor, I have kind of a major fear that comes along with this idea of like being really consistent in our language and really, being really consistent uh, in what our mission and our vision are. And that's this, that we'll become a people that are, are, are focused 
on engaging people and, and encouraging them to follow Jesus and equipping one another to make disciples. And we'll empower one another to do the work of the gospel ministry. And we'll sit back a year from now and we'll look and we'll, we'll see all these people come to Christ. And we'll see people get baptized. And we'll see God working at people in people's lives. And we'll have memorized a bunch of scripture. And we'll, we'll have studied different books of the Bible together. And we'll have done all these different ministry things. And I do not have a fear of us doing those things in and of themselves. Because I deeply believe that's what God wants for us. But I do have a fear that we'll lose the why. My my fear is that as we become laser-focused and encouraged and kind of are all on the same page and all using the same language, that we'll lose the why of why we're doing that in the first place. And that's this, the glory of God. That we exist for the renown of Jesus Christ and sharing his gospel with the world around us. Because guys, here, like, here's the reality. Raise your hand if you agree with me on this. We live in a merit-based culture. Yeah, the room goes up. Right? The, the, every hand, right? Whether you're, you're working on your GPA in high school, right, and you're being measured by that measuring stick or your SAT score, or you're applying for college, and you're sharing the 30,000 extracurricular activities that you got involved in your senior year so that that application might look better, right? Or you're trying to apply for scholarships that are merit-based, right? Or you're looking for internships, and so you're making sure you're involved with enough things at the university so that you can get that internship you want. Or you're getting ready to graduate, and you're sending out job applications and interviews, and you're trying to find some way to stand out compared to the other 50,000 people that are applying for that job you really, really want. Or if you're already in the workforce, right, finding ways to stand out in the workplace so that when your job performance review comes out, your boss looks at you and says, yeah, I need him or her, right? That he, she is indispensable to this company, or he is more valuable than anyone else in that department, right? Everything we do is merit-based. I mean, for goodness sake, get on Facebook, you moms and dads. Just you know, you post pictures of like the you know, like every parent. Like I, I love like just my house, right? It's just like chaos, right? Like Jackie cleaned our house yesterday, and the only way our house got cleaned is that I took the kids out of the house for three hours, right? And so, like, if you walk into our home, it looks like just a bomb goes off every day. Yet you hop on Facebook, and there's always that mom who's like sitting in the tub with her kids doing organized play and feeling time with sand and artwork and whatever else. And like the normal mom who's just trying to like feed her kids at night, right? And making sure they go to bed at all time is like, I'm a terrible mom, right? Because everything in our culture is merit-based where we're comparing each other to one another. By the way, mom, if your kid is in bed at night and eating, you are successful. <laughs> I just want to let you know that you are free in Christ and you are doing a great job, Okay. Right? So like, here's the reality, like, everything in our lives is merit-based. And so you spend your whole week hearing, you don't measure up, you got to work harder. You don't measure up, you got to work harder in every sphere of life. And then you come into a church on Sunday morning, and this should be the one place that you walk into during the week for an hour and a half, right, to hear the word of God and to worship. And you're supposed to receive and hear the freedom that is given to you in Christ. And then pastors like myself get up here and we start spitting out vision and mission. And I say, you need to do all this too. You're like, man, this guy, he's worse than my boss. I'm never coming to this church again. Right, because the reality is, 
is if we're not careful as a church, we can start becoming merit-based and measuring ourselves and how we live out the implications of the gospel in our lives, and we'll miss the why of, of why we're doing it in the first place. And my fear is that you'll hear this mission and this vision and these values and these things we want, and all, uh, all you'll see is that, hey, these guys are throwing more expectations on me, and they're, they're placing more weight on me, and it can seem crippling. And my prayer is that we won't do that, but instead we'll do this. If you'll turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to share something with you from the Apostle Paul that really encouraged me this week as I was just working through the text. Starting in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at what the Apostle Paul says. He says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, he's... He's talking about, right, the, he's, he's using language of the temple and the Holy of Holies, which separated um, the, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, as it was called, from the people of Israel. That no one could go into the Holy of Holies except for once a year the high priest would go in there to offer atoning sacrifices for the nation of Israel. But God's presence dwelled in there, and that veil... Right, is what separated God's glory and his holiness and his presence from his people. And if anyone were to go in there at a time without right, following the, the, the rituals of purification or being the high priest, they died on the spot. Right? Because God's presence was so powerful and so awesome, it would just overcome them and they would be killed on the spot. Right? And so here Paul says, but if anyone right, has come to know... right." God and what he's done from look at what he says but when one turns to the Lord what the veil is removed look what he says now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is what freedom meaning we are free to enter into as followers of Jesus the presence of God and enjoy him to know him to experience his glory and his power and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So here, here's what I want us to see. You know, if, you, if you're at the church and you keep hearing language of what we're encouraging one another to do or become or how we want to grow as disciples, right, know that it's rooted in this. Know that it's rooted in this this inescapable truth that we get to dwell within the presence and the glory of God and that presence is what is transforming us for his glory and his good that we are free and in being free we behold the glory of the Lord and in beholding his glory we are being transformed being transformed to live out the mission and vision not because we're under compulsion to perform like we are in every other area of life, but because the glory of God is so gripping and so compelling that we can't help but respond to his glory in doing this. So here's what I think God wants us to reflect on this morning as we look at Psalm 24. We're gonna look at that psalm, and, and here's my prayer, that in this psalm this morning, we would see the beauty and the glory of God in a way that we maybe haven't seen for a while, or that it would 
stir up in us our affections to seek the glory of God. And then in seeing his beauty, we would do one thing. We would worship. And here's what I know about a people that worship God. A people that, that worship God, love God, and people that love God, serve God, and people that serve God, make much of God, and people that make much of God, lead other people to make much of God. And so, will you guys pray with me that we might see the glory of Jesus this morning as we read Psalm 24 together. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is good and true and that it is designed to lead us to one thing, which is to behold you with unveiled face so that we might see your glory and worship you. Holy Spirit, might you meet us in this time. Might you lead us to put aside our cares and our worries, but to be reminded that we are free in you to worship you. Use your word to change us this morning, Lord, and to worship you, and I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we dive into this psalm this morning, I kind of want us to know that, that the, the consistent theme that we see throughout Psalm 24 is this idea of seeking and experiencing the glory of God. And so I want to take a second to define that for, for us because I think um, it can get pretty confusing. So if we're going to try to understand the glory of God, let me um, give you what John Piper defines it as because he's smarter than I am, so I think it might be more helpful to share that with you. But here, here's what John Piper defines the glory of God as. He says this, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of his holiness. So what, so, what, so what John Piper's trying to communicate there is that the magnitude of God's glory and who he is, right, and his holiness and his separateness from us and his grandeur, which is, which is far surpassing anything that you and I can possibly imagine, right, that his glory is the going public of who he is, displaying that to the world around us. And, it, and in some ways, trying to find the glory of God is nearly impossible, um, how would one define something that is simultaneously infinite, all-powerful, ever-present, and all-knowing? Anybody in here want to take a stab at trying to fully wrap their mind around that? Right? I think this is like one of those moments where we start describing things. The beauty of, of when you start describing the grandeur of God, you need to be able to come to a place where you can say in your heart, I don't understand all of this, and that's okay because he's God and I'm not. That sometimes if God is bigger than you are, that's good. That means it's a good God, right? If God is smarter than you, more powerful than you, more all-knowing than you, that's a good thing, right? I wouldn't want to worship a God that was a lot like me, right? I did that for like 20 years. It didn't go so well. And so when, when we start talking about the glory of God, Piper puts it another way. He says, God is in a class by himself. He has infinite perfections, infinite greatness, and infinite worth. And this means that to experience the glory of God, you experience in some way his perfect character. You experience in some way his awesome power. You experience in some way his holiness. And you experience the splendor of God. And this will lead us to do one thing, which is ponder his goodness and then worship. 
And so let me read the text to you again as we kind of reflect, and then we're going to kind of break this down paragraph by paragraph as David has written this psalm. He says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. You'll notice like twice in that psalm that the word Selah is put there, and that's intentionally put in there by the author of the psalm. And Selah means simply stop, think, dwell, consider, worship. So let's do that, right? Let's stop and consider what David is saying about the beauty of his God here, right? If you look at verses one and two, a couple things I want you to see from those two verses, right? He says there in verse one that the earth belongs to God. Now, now common sense would probably speak to us on this, uh, but it's important to notice this. It says he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So, so let's break this down for a second, right? David is saying here that, that God has created all of this and therefore creation, if you were to look at it, reveals in some way to us the beauty and majesty and glory of God. This is what theologians would, would describe or term or coin as common grace. That if, if you and I were to look at creation, that God's, God reveals himself to us through means that anyone can see it. Right? Um, let, me, let me give you an example. Right? T turn over to Psalm 19.1 real quick for me. Right? The psalmist says in Psalm 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Meaning that we see that God reveals his power and majesty to all simply through creation. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to have grown up in the Bible Belt. You don't have to have had Christian parents. You don't even have to believe in God. That, that by definition, there will just be moments in your life where you, where you will experience the magnitude and the beauty of creation around you. And that will cause you to stop and just ponder for a minute why is all of this here? What, what is going on here? And if we stop and pause to think about this for a minute, right, what David is getting across to us in Psalm 24 is this. The universe 
declares the glory of God to all living things. That the universe, God's creation, declares to everything that has ever lived the glory of its creator. I mean, have you guys ever seen a really beautiful place and simply just, like, sat back and let it take your breath away? I want to share a couple pictures with you guys. Will you throw up some of these pictures for me, David? Right, so this is a picture of a lake that my wife and I um, went to in Aspen, Colorado last May, where um, my mother-in-law uh, was getting remarried. Guys, like, first of all, Colorado is like the craziest state I've ever seen. It's like four different biospheres just being shoved into one place in the middle of a bunch of mountains. But like, you can be like in the plains with prairie dogs running around, then enter in like this temperate climate where there's like rivers and like lush life, and then enter in like on the next mountain, like this arid desert where nothing survives, and then go skiing on the next mountain over. Like Colorado is just this beautiful place, and there's all this like life, like teeming. And I remember just sitting there, like looking out over and like seeing this mountain, just being like, man, this is this is gorgeous. I wouldn't want to live here because it's cold, but man. It's gorgeous. It was just beautiful and breathtaking. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll just say this. Very rarely in my life do I, like, look out over in something creation. Like, it pause, like I pause and take, it takes my breath away. Some of you guys, like, you just love hiking or you love a day at the beach. And you just you sit by the ocean and you're like, man, God's good. Like, I, I'm not self-reflective enough to have that happen enough. But I'm a total geek when it comes to space. And when I start seeing, like, stuff from space... Blows my mind away. Th throw that next picture up there. Yeah. So this is our galaxy. It's called the Milky Way galaxy. If you look out there, probably about like two-thirds of the way out, our solar system is some small little piece there, probably on the right side out there. This is one galaxy in our universe. This is one universe, right? One, excuse me. This is, this is one galaxy in an infinite expanse of the universe. Right, throw that next picture up there. Right, this, is, this is a picture of what's called a nebula, right? where it's a picture that the Hubble telescope caught of space expanding. Now, there is someone in here that's a physics major that could probably explain this to you, but apparently our universe is consistently expanding and growing, from what I understand. And this is our camera catching the gases just expanding. Guys, look at that. We just like pause and look at that. I know we don't normally see things like this because we live in a city. There's too much like light pollution. But if you ever get a chance to just go out where there's not a ton of light pollution, you'll see beautiful stuff like this. And when I look at the sky and see stuff like this, I'm, in, I'm just like, man, what could this possibly communicate to me other than the beauty of a creator? And when I, when I look at a picture like that, my soul just longs to experience that glory and that power. But here's the thing. Right? Notice how when, when David says here in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and he's established it upon the rivers. Right? He's saying, look, you and I can look out on creation. We can look out 
on those beautiful scenes like that scene in Colorado or these beautiful scenes. And, and experience like this will cause us to long for God, but guess what? It's not going to solve our longing. That we can see and taste the glory of God, but God in his glory has revealed himself to us in some ways in his common grace, but it's just a small picture of his vastness. That by looking at creation, we see a glimpse of the glory of God, but it's just a snapshot of his glory. That God's creation is designed for us to see his glory and to be filled with his presence, but we won't be fully satisfied just by creation. We get a glimpse of him, but we don't get the fullness of him. And so when we move into verse 3, David's going to share another way that we see and experience the glory of God. He says this, that we've just got done seeing God's glory on display in creation, but then we see it in another way. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Right, these verses show us another way in which God declares his glory to his people, his moral goodness and his holiness. He says in verse three, who shall stand in his holy place? And he says in verse 4, he who has clean hands, a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Let me translate verse 4 for you. No one. There is no one who can stand in God's presence and be worthy to stand there apart from God doing something miraculous. What David is saying here is that those who get to stand in the presence of God will be struck by his holiness and his moral uprightness and that they will receive blessing and righteousness from the God of their salvation because they seek his face. Guys, David is communicating something to us here that we really, really need to make sure we fully grasped. That not only does God reveal himself to us in creation, but he also reveals himself to us in his holiness. And revealing himself and his glory to us in his holiness should, should tell us this. There is no one worthy on this earth of standing in the presence of a holy God. I think we live in a, in a season um, of the church where we are, are slow to remember and reflect upon the holiness of God. You know, Pastor Daniel mentioned this last week, but he was talking kind of in jest about that shirt that Ashton Kutcher had made famous that said, Jesus is my homeboy, right? And, and you'll hear language, you know, Jesus is my friend and whatever else. And I'm, I'm not against any of that stuff, but I think as we try to hone in on as a church and communicate to the world around us the, the, the personal relationship that is involved in being a follower and a disciple of Jesus, we can sometimes 
negate um, the holiness of God and who he is. And forget that there is this sense that God is holy and separate from us. And we need to understand something that God communicates here um, just by David revealing to us the holiness of God and who he is. God hates sin. It's, it's not like God gets upset about sin. It's not like he, he, he looks at us and he's like, man, I'm really disappointed in my creation. No, no the, the, langu- the language of the scripture over and over and over again talks of God's holiness and man's sinfulness, and God abhors that sinfulness. You may be sitting there and... and and saying, like, that, that sounds really rough, but, like, just hear me out on this for a second, right? The, the Bible uses l- language in Scripture that you and I are sinners. That's, that's who we are. We're born that way. The Bible teaches that I am not going to go in depth on total depravity this morning. Just know that the Bible teaches it, and if you disagree with me, that's fine. We can sit down and have a debate on it. Um, but the Bible teaches it over and over again. If you're still sitting there and be like, I, I've studied the Bible, Kevin. I don't believe in theology. Then you are welcome. Um, the Escobars just had a newborn baby to ask them their thoughts on what it's like to raise young children. Any parent in here um, never has a problem with the concept of total depravity because they've raised a child. Like, I never taught my kids to misbehave. They just inherently knew. Why? Well, According to scripture, it's because they're born in sin and iniquity. They're born, they're born sinners just like their parents before them. And then some of you guys are like, your babies are so cute. Yes, they are the cutest heathens and sinners that the world has ever seen. But you and I are sinners. The Bible teaches that, that we are sinners. And this is something that we need to get through our heads, right? That we are born as sinners. We sin because we are sinners. We, we, we sin and do bad things because we are sinners. Right? Like, l- just last night, Jackie and I were having a discussion with my son right, about something he had done throughout the day. And he, I, I was like, dude, what in the world were you doing? And he's just like, I don't know. And I missed a golden opportunity. I'm like, because you're a sinner. <laughs> That's why you don't know. You reflexively do that because you are a sinner. I mean, he's like bawling his eyes out. I don't know why I'm doing it. I just, I can't. Like, dude, I get it. I'm there. Same thing. Right? We are sinners. But here's what we need to know. God is not. Right? And God abhors that. And because God is holy, his moral good displays his glory to a people that are not like him. And because God is holy, in displaying his moral good to us, he desires his people to display that same moral goodness to the world around them. This means that to truly experience God's glory and his holiness We must seek in his word to learn what he wants, to learn what he desires, and how he acts with his interactions with the world. 
This means that we seek to obey his word and that obedience actually allows us to experience God's goodness because his commands are for our good and therefore we experience joy by doing what David says, pursuing clean hands and a pure heart. To see and experience God's moral good means we seek his word, we seek to obey, but we fall short. And I think there's a reason, a really specific reason why David sings about creation, he sings about the holiness of God, and then he says, Selah. Because he wants us to ponder the power and glory of God as we look upon creation. And then he wants us to reflect, do I have a clean hand? Do I have a pure heart? Which if any of us are honest with ourselves for longer than 30 seconds, we know, no, I'm not. He says, ponder upon that and then stare into God's glory and his holiness. And what, if we stare into creation, we're going to see the power of God, but we're going to be left longing for, for something more. And if we stare into our own lives and examine our own obedience, what are we going to be left? Wanting. And David sets us up in those two ways. And he says, if you look to creation and you look to self to find glory, you'll be left wanting. But then I love these last few verses here. Because, you, because if we're left longing for God, then look at what David presents to us in verse 7. Lift up your heads. He's not just telling us to look at that nebula or the Milky Way. He's saying, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king? king of glory the lord of hosts he is the king of glory i love these verses guys there have been hymns and worship songs sung about these four verses look at the text if you look at it closely it's a it's a processional that's what this is right he's saying lift up your heads o gates this is harking back to when a king would return to Jerusalem victorious, and he's saying to uh, the commanders at the gates, hey, lift up your heads, whatever you're doing, and look, the king is coming, he's returning and opening the gates, and the commanders at the gates respond to this cry of the people, what? Who? Who is this king of glory? And the people respond, it's the Lord strong and mighty and the gatekeepers respond again who is this king of glory and they say the lord of hosts he is the king of glory see what david is presenting to us is that god's glory is seen in creation 
but it creates a longing for us to see him. And God's glory is seen in, in what C.S. Lewis would even coin as the, the natural human moral law, where we interact, the human beings interact with some sort of basic moral conscience with one another, whether they grew up with religion or not. But that morality creates in us, just like Paul says, a sense of longing, right, for the glory of God. But then he says, if you want to see the glory of God, it's seen in the king. Lift up your eyes and open up the gates. Not for creation, not for obedience, but for the king. And that leaves us with this question. The same question that the gatekeepers are screaming and asking here in the psalm. Who is this king of glory? Turn over to Hebrews 1. That's where we're going to finish today. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. See what the author of Hebrews is saying there? He's like, look, God has revealed himself in many ways to us, in creation, in his law, right, in his statutes, in the prophets, God has revealed his glory to us. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Who is this king of glory? Jesus. If you want to experience and know fully the glory of the God of the Bible, you have to know Jesus. I'm not talking about knowing of Jesus. I'm not talking about knowing some stories about Jesus. I'm not talking about knowing some facts about Jesus. I'm talking about knowing Jesus as God and King and Savior and Lord. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God has spoken to us by his Son through whom he also created the world. And look at the language of the author of Hebrews there, that this Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. It's like saying, like if you were to behold Jesus, his glory would just be shining through to us because he is the glory of God made manifest before us. He is the exact imprint of his nature. That word in the Greek is tupas, right? And it, it takes this idea of a coin, and on Roman coins, right, the tupas 
of the, of the Roman Caesar would be on those coins, and it meant that it was an exact replica of the face of Caesar, right? And the author of Hebrews uses that term to say Jesus is the tupas of God, right? He is the glory of God made manifest in this baby who became a man, and it says that this exact imprint of the nature of God upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus, the king, the king of glory, who's not just the exact imprint of the nature of God and the radiance of his glory, but then the author of Hebrews goes on to say that not only is he just worthy of our praise because of who he is, but look at what he has done. That he's made purification for sins. Guys, Jesus would be worthy of our praise simply because of who he is. But then look at what he's done for us. It says that he made purification for our sins. It's the gospel. That Jesus came and died in our place. And in dying in our place on the cross, he satisfied the wrath of God for that sin that I was talking about earlier. So when we say, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? The one with clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus purifies our sins so that that can be us. He saves us. And then it says, after he was done rescuing us, he rose again, and then it says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I'm sorry, some of you are like, he's not talking about the resurrection there, guys. Jesus could not have sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high if he had not first raised from the dead. And the right hand was the seat of power of a king that Jesus sits at the right hand of majesty on high and he's superior to the angels. So here's what we're left with. If we ask ourselves, who is this king of glory? Jesus. How do we respond to this king of glory? David says, to lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. If you want to experience the glory of God and worship him on a deeper and more profound way for the rest of your life, you must daily surrender to Jesus. You must daily look upon him and worship him and seek to obey him. Guys, there are all sorts of practical ways to experience God's glory and worship Jesus, the King of glory. I mean, I'm talking super practical. I mean, this past, like every night, I sit down with my kids, and, and we either read from their little Bible, or we, we do, um, uh, Life Church has the, ki- the Bible app for kids, and we do the Bible app for kids story, right? And this past week, we're just sitting there, right, and, and the story was of Jesus' ascension into heaven. You know, and my, and my son Gideon, he's really, really smart, so he, like, he's memorized all these stories already, so he's kind of sitting there like, I already know this. You know, he's kind of like half sitting there. But, I mean, Josiah, 
he's right on track. I love him. He's just, and he, you know, he's like barely grabbing like maybe one or two things that are happening in this story. And I'm always wondering, like, is this time effective? Like, is anything going on here? Like, I'm investing this time every evening with him, and, like, he's, he's got nothing. Like, I mean, like, the app even asks some questions, and, I mean, he, he's really excited when he answers the right question, but I'm not positive that, like, when he answers the right answer that he really knows that it was the right answer if he's just guessing something. So I'm saying, I'm like, what is going on here? And so, like, that particular night, they're talking about the ascension, and, and, and Jesus promises to his disciples that one day he will return the way that he left. So we get through the story, and I'm like, man, this is, okay, I'm like, we did it. All right, God, I checked it off my list. Here we go. And I head to bed that night, and we're sitting there praying. And I'm like, Josiah, what, what, you, what would you like to pray about tonight? And usually it's the same thing. Like, he's like, let's thank God for the food I had today. Mom, Dad, Gideon, and me. Every day, thankful, thanking God for himself, right? That he <laughs> graces us with his presence. And, you know, and then if we did something fun, it's like that. And he looks at me and he goes, Ed, I, w- I want Jesus to come back tomorrow. I'm like, what? You were paying attention? He's like, I want Jesus to come back tomorrow. He says, in that little moment, I got to see the glory of God being revealed in front of me as he touched my son. You know, sometimes just simple things. I'm, I'm up in the morning and I'm often reading scripture before I head into work or take Gideon to school. And some mornings Gideon sits there and he sees me reading my Bible and then he walks off and turns the TV on and, inter- and interrupts me and I'm like, there goes a quiet time with the Lord. But sometimes he sees me and he's like, Dad, I want to grab my Bible and read too. I'm like, go for it, buddy. And then we get to talk about what he's reading on the way to work. It's simple stuff. As we experience Jesus and he touches us, Sometimes we experience God's glory through, like, really, really simplistic stuff, like just experiencing the creativity of others and art and song and worship. You ever just read a good book and be like, man, God created human beings to be this creative? Like, it's amazing. And sometimes it's just simply through song. I want to finish our time this morning asking you guys just to reflect on Jesus. I'm going to play a video for you. Some spoken word by a guy named Jimmy Needham. If you can go, you can go ahead and turn the lights down. It's some spoken word by a guy named Jimmy Needham. And, he, and, and the preface of this spoken word is, who is the king of glory? And I would encourage you to just sit and reflect on what he says And then after we listen to this, right, might it incline your heart to worship. Worship Jesus for who he is, the one upholding the the world by the power of his word. The one who is above every other name. The one who, as God's only son, gave his life for the purification of our sins and now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And then as you reflect, might you just thank him, worship him, and you can take communion knowing that Christ gave his flesh and blood for you. Let's watch this video. Mm-hmm.